Talk. It's February 24th, 2023, and we are on site at the Vapic Convention in Tampa, Florida. That's the Bay Area APIC Association for Professionals in Infection Control. And with me today is Ariel Alonso uh, from Bayshore Point. He's an infection preventionist control officer. Ariel, welcome to Clean Talk. Hi, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad to have you on the show. I know that you've watched our show in the past, and so we're excited to have you here in the hot seat uh, to talk about infection prevention. Uh, first of all, what can you tell us about your background and uh, why you're here on Clean Talk today? Yeah, so a little bit about my background is uh, I'm right now I work as an infection preventionist at Bayshore Point Nursing and Rehab Center. And I've been there for almost about two years now. Uh, my background is I'm not a nurse. I have a, a master's in public health with a concentration in epidemiology. And I really enjoy infection control. Um, I could have gone to the field of epidemiology, but um, or at least to become an epidemiologist. But now um, I'm here as an infection preventionist because I really enjoy the different aspects that there is in the different levels. Well, I, I love that you started off the conversation that way because, um, you know, we have a shortage of infection preventionists and, and if uh, people feel that that's their passion and their calling, uh, you mentioned you have an epidemiology background, which obviously would be a great fit, but you don't have to have a background in epidemiology or biology, right? What, what should someone who's considering going into the field of infection prevention, what advice can you give to them? Yeah, so I think anybody who's considering to go into the field is first looking into APIC. APIC is a great resource. I think that's the first place to start, just to get uh, an understanding of what different resources there are. What what is it like to be an infection preventionist? What's the definitions? Um, and then looking at the different um, aspects of it. You know, they have different uh, set of information that you can look into. You know, cleaning, disinfecting, education piece hand hygiene being the biggest piece and seeing, you know, diving into those different topics to see if that's something interesting to you. But you don't necessarily have to have a background epidemiologist because um, there are so many different types of backgrounds when it comes to infection prevention, and they all can benefit having those different backgrounds. And that's one of the things that APIC is stressing, right? That you don't necessarily have to have a medical background to have be passionate about infection prevention and to become an infection preventionist. And if you want to find out more about that, you can go to apic.org uh, and get some resources on the steps uh, it takes to become an infection preventionist. And we need more great infectious preventionists like yourself, Ariel. So we're really glad to have you on the show. And, um, you know, this is a platform to share best practices and uh, maybe emerging technologies or things that other infection preventionists and other facilities can benefit from. Um, what can you tell us about uh, what your focus is today and uh, where are the areas that you're putting your energy into? So like I mentioned previously, you know, I work at a nursing home right now. And one of the issues that we have is keeping that vaccination, those vaccination rates up. Um, I think right now with the COVID pandemic and where we are right now, um, we've seen a lot of successes. And I think with all the tools and resources that we have, the hype has gone down. So one of the issues that we're definitely facing is how do we get that sense of urgency that the vaccines are still important? And especially for those folks that are immunocompromised or even our elderly population. So one of the strategies that I've been implementing is having that availability of the vaccines every week, at least, you know, uh, in a vial, we have like the safe for Pfizer about six doses. So I try to at least get one vial 
um, used up for all the residents in the in the facility. So that way, you know, we can increase our numbers, not, you know, in a sense where, you know, we're trying to get as many people as possible, but little at a time. And that actually eventually brings up those those uh, vaccination rates. And that's how, what has been successful to me and my journey with the vaccine uptake. Well, and the general public, I think, is aware of particular challenges around nursing homes, particularly as it related to COVID. What were some of the things that you were seeing? What what challenges do you think uh, were were more prevalent in a, in a nursing home environment where people are immunocompromised? What are the challenges that you faced during the COVID pandemic? Well, I think it's, you know, trying to keep all those individuals safe. You know, not only are we worrying about COVID, we're also worrying about other uh, infections like C. diff, C. oris, which are, uh, you know, big topics right now and big issues, especially in nursing homes. So trying to keep up with those challenges and making sure to work closely with environmental staff, um, educating our staff as well on the importance of hand hygiene um, to mitigate that risk and PPE, of course, making sure that it, that it's readily available and accessible. Um, also then with vaccines as well, because not only do we want to take care of the external environment, we also want to um, protect our, our immune system as well. So, you know, part of the challenge is education with the external environment and then also with the immune system and our internal environment as well. Now, during COVID, I think we're all familiar with uh, many of the supply chain challenges and shortages of PPE equipment. And did you face any of those issues uh, within your facility? So we were fortunate enough to get plenty of uh, PPE from, from the Florida State Health Department. Um, so we had plenty of PPE. However, we did have measures where we would try to see what we can use in-house to minimize how much we would have to use from other facilities or other resources. So for instance, uh, using a cloth, uh, reusable cloth, and uh, making sure that we have plenty of um, disinfectant uh, to be able to disinfect and clean surfaces. And that that has been very helpful. Or even now, we, we reuse gowns instead of um, the throwaway gowns. Uh, we use these yellow gowns. Uh, there's a study that you, know, you can use them for at least 60 days. Uh, and then they get tossed out and we get new gowns again. And that has been helpful in our efforts to reduce COVID transmission in our facility. So you've been able to manage the supply chain issues. And you mentioned that you got some state funding to help support those challenges. Uh, we've read that there was funding earmarked um, for long-term care. Are you seeing any of that funding uh, coming through to the nursing home environments? Is it too soon or is that, has that been effective? Yeah, I think the funding is still there. You know, for the most part, we still get our, our COVID tests from the state. Um, if I, I have a really close relationship with uh, the health department, I have a close contact and they always ask me when I do my weekly reporting, if there's any uh, additional PPE, if there's anything else that we need assistance with that they're happy to help or connect me with those resources. So we're really fortunate enough to have those relationships with our local health department to continue to get that funding and to continue to get those resources. And you mentioned that you've been driving uh, increased uh, vaccinations within the facility. Are there any other initiatives uh, specific to COVID that have emerged as a result of COVID that maybe you didn't really focus on before uh, prior to the pandemic? 
Well, I think prior to the pandemic, uh, you know, one of the, the focus now is on those healthcare acquired infections, you know, because there's been such an emphasis, right, uh, especially in the previous months about COVID. Um, it's all been about COVID, but there are still other infections that we need to worry about, um, especially now with the emerging uh, C. auris, Candida auris. Um, that is a big one that we need to focus on, especially in nursing homes. Um, I recently had one where they tested positive and it was a really cool experience to go through. I didn't know what to do, but once again, I worked with the health department and they sent me tests and I was able to do uh, exposure testing. Uh, I learned the process. A PCR test PCR they use? What is the testing methodology for Yeah, it's, it's pretty simple. It's, it's like it's an ax axillary swab, groin swab. Um, and then you place it in a little tube. Um, it's kind of, I, I think it's a PCR test that they would use. And then I send it off to state uh, to either Tennessee or Jacksonville. Um, and then they report on the test. And then I come back and then I find out if there's anybody else that's positive. And then that way we go through the next steps, whether or not we place them on isolation. And then we continue to work with the health department to identify any new cases or to isolate, or what the next steps will be. So is isolation typical? Because I recently learned that there, uh, once you're colonized with candida, you're considered colonized for life, that there's no decolonization. Does it end up in isolation all the time? So what's interesting about that is that, you know, with candida auris, patients can be colonized for months, maybe even lifetime. So with that, and especially at nursing homes, I know in acute cares, they're going to uh, remain on contact isolation. But at nursing homes, that's a different story. That, that may be where they permanently live. And we don't want to keep those residents in their room 24-7 on isolation. So there's this new type of uh, precaution that the CDC came out with specifically for nursing homes, which is the enhanced barrier precautions. And I really like that because that one is going to still provide that uh, precaution when entering and providing that um, uh, care to the resident wearing your, your gown, the gloves. Yeah, so uh, tell, tell me more about what the enhanced, say it again, the enhanced. Enhanced barrier precautions. So, what is that? Yeah, so enhanced barrier precautions is not uh, a type of isolation as it is more of uh, precaution. So anytime you're doing any high contact activities like bathing, transferring, um, you know, you're coming into com uh, in contact with the resident or the resident surrounding. Um, it's best practice to wear a gown, gloves, and depending on what you're doing, if there's going to be any splashes or anything, uh, a facial, but typically just the gown and the gloves. Um, and we're going to do that because we want to limit uh, the spread of any any pathogens or they may be placed on that if they have any indwelling medical devices, right? Or uh, any wounds that require dressing uh, changes. We don't want to introduce any new pathogens to them because if they have an indwelling medical device, that's a direct line to the inside. So we want to make sure that we're not introducing anything and we're also not spreading anything. So that enhanced barrier precaution is kind of like standard precaution plus. It just offers, it's another set of tools that we can use without having to isolate the resident permanently in their room and still offering that flexibility where they can go in and out. You can go in and out, but when you do that high contact activity, you want to make sure to put on that PPE. That's interesting. I appreciate you describing yeah. it to us. Tell me about Tell the me challenges about in long-term long care. care. You know, we're familiar with acute care that uh, when they change the patient rooms, they're able to do uh, environmental services comes in. 
does the cleaning. They may do a uh, a secondary disinfection process with uh, UVC, but it's got to be more challenging for permanent residents. How do you handle the cleaning and disinfection uh, for long-term care? Yeah, so with long-term care, we have a system right now with our environmental staff. And right now we have our um, terminal cleaning. So when we have those residents that are in their room, right, in our second floor, it's our acute care. So there's always terminal cleaning happening. But with those residents that are constantly in their room, how does that get addressed? So our environmental staff, they'll have a rotation and they'll start cleaning rooms based off, you know, we'll maybe start on the first hall and we'll start there and then we'll go to the middle hall and then the last hall, and then they'll keep repeating that process and just eventually having it uh, cleaned and disinfected just because with them being their uh, long-term residents, we don't want to miss their rooms um, and just focus on the acute care. We want to make sure that we're hitting all the rooms too because that still could be a hotbed for germs and other types of illnesses that could be there that we're not aware of. Now, I asked you about COVID and immediately you said, well, you know, we're, we're still focused on hospital acquired infections. And, uh, we've seen the data that we made a lot of progress against hospital acquired infections over the last decade or so. And then as somehow as a result of COVID, many facilities have seen an uptick in HAIs. To what do you attribute that? I think it's just focusing mainly on COVID. I think the stress was on, you know, how do we prevent it from spreading? How do we get people, um, you know, educated on COVID? And I guess all that focus was shifted towards COVID. And that's understandable. But we also realized that at the same time, we still have all these other infections. Just because we have COVID, that doesn't mean that these other infections stop. So, you know, it's now shifting our focus now that we have all these resources uh, to mitigate COVID, you know, going back to those infections, right? C. diff is still a big issue, especially in nursing homes. And so is uh, Candida auris now. So I think putting those back on our radar is important and also keeping COVID as well on our radar is going to be helpful in keeping our residents safe. Well, Ariel, you're attending the Bay Pick Conference here in Tampa, Florida. Why are you here and what are you hoping to achieve here today? Well, I think, you know, um, I'm a big fan. I always watch your show. Thank and you. I think, um, you know, there's always so many great topics. And I'm always hearing about, uh, you know, hospitals, acute care. Um, and I like to get that perspective, too, on, on long-term care. You know, especially now, I feel like the, there's there's more growth now with uh, IPs working in long-term care. So I think it's great to hear a perspective from an infection preventionist at a long-term care facility uh, and what it's like a day in, you know, the life of an infection preventionist and the struggles and the successes. So it's it's nice to hear more about those, you know, who work at a long-term care facility as well. I agree. And we appreciate you being on the show, Ariel. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Yeah. If you had a magic wand, what would be one thing you would change to improve patient outcomes uh, in long-term care specifically? There's a lot, but I think what, one of the things is uh, sometimes, you know, it feels uh, as the infection preventionist, because I am the subject matter expert in my facility, uh, that, you know, I'm, I'm the one, you know, always doing the things specifically related to infection prevention. However, 
um, it's an interdisciplinary um, profession as well. And I think, you know, our facility does great working together as a team. Um, but having, uh, I would say, you know, more of that collaboration. And I think we're getting there and uh, it is improving. But um, I would like to see it within all nursing homes. You know, I think uh, like I would look at hospitals and they have such a great uh connection and collaboration with not only their internal um, staff, but also with external stakeholders too. So I think I would love to see that for nursing homes as well, to have those partnerships and more of a interdisciplinary team focus when it comes to infection control in nursing homes. Well said. Any predictions for the future in infection prevention and long-term care? Yeah, I mean, I am very excited to see where it's going to go because I, I, I'm i just excited to that. I for, for the longest time, I didn't even know that, you know, infection prevention could work at nursing homes. Um, it's typically seen as nurses would do these roles, but now um, you're seeing more infection preventionists as, at nursing homes. And I think that's uh, very promising for the future and for all those that are working and living there. I think it's going to be helpful to keeping everyone safe and healthy. An optimistic outlook. We appreciate that. And Ariel, we appreciate you being a fan of the show and being a guest on Clean Talk today. Uh, I'm your host, Brad Witchers, for my guest, Ariel Alonso. You've been watching Clean Talk. And we're reminding you, till next time, keep it clean.